Welcome, welcome one and all to Superman Forever Radio, episode 28. It is Thursday, so that means it is our review show. We got quite a lineup. I think this is the first time since I split the show into two, I actually have four total books to review, which is pretty much what I expected to be the norm, but we went through a couple of rough rough months. And hey guys, we actually pick up with Action Comics and uh, Camelot Falls. So two of the major storylines that have been sputtering for quite some time actually come back into play. So right there, you got to be psyched. And I do want to let you remind, uh, let you know and remind you that, hey, there's the SFR Daily Planet, the Daily Superman News Podcast, which you can now find on iTunes. Just do a quick search. You'll find it. And go ahead and subscribe and leave a review if you would, if I'm doing my job. So without further ado, I don't have a whole lot to say right up front. Just remember to check out uh, my other podcast, Walking Dorks, at walkingdorks.blogspot.com. That's where me and my friends get together and talk general comics, not just Superman, which is kind of nice, nice outlet for that. And also remember that I was on uh, From Crisis to Crisis episode 93 while we were on hiatus. I completely forgot to mention that last episode just because that episode had so much going on. But yes, I was on episode 93. Right now, uh, Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey are both covering Panic in the Sky which is a phenomenal storyline from the 90s. If you have not read it, do so. I don't mean to go all James Lipton on you, but it is a delight. So without further ado, I'm going to play a quick promo. We're going to come back and take a look at Action Comics number 851. And by the way, the music from this week's episode, that was Paramore with My Hero, which is a Foo Fighters cover. You can get that on the Sounds of Superman CD, which you'll find in the sidebar of supermanforever.com. Now, buying it through there, actually, I get a percentage of that, which I use to pay my bandwidth bill. and just kind of pay some of the bills that I have uh, in podcasting. I'm not going to guilt trip you. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. But if you if it's something you want to buy, hey, why not buy it through me? And also, you can check out the trade paperbacks of the stories we're covering this week on the sidebar. Purchase those there. A little bit comes in to help support the show. None of it goes in my pocket. Let me be completely clear on that. I'm not that kind of person. So let's go ahead and play that promo and get started with Action Comics number 851. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. And first up out of the gate for the cover date, August 2007, is Action Comics number 851. And it was released on June 27th, 2007, in both regular and 3D versions. I am actually reading the regular. This is Last Sun, Part 4. Part 4. Oh, well, we're finally moving on several issues later. It was written by Jeff Johns and Richard Donner. Uh, artist was Adam Kubert, uh, lettered by Rob Lay, colored by Dave Stewart, with 3D effects by Rayzone, edited by Ed Pleh, edited by Nachi Castro and Matt Idelson. Superman, of course, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And the issue opens where Action Comics 846 left off with Superman being thrust into the Phantom Zone by General Zod, Ursa, and Non, with Christopher Kent watching in horror. Superman is cast into a world of madness. 
up is down, left is right. He's seeing all kinds of images from across our plane, and he's starting to lose his mind when a voice calls out, just let it go, just let it happen, or you'll go quite mad. And Monel appears in the Phantom Zone, or aka Largand. Superman's surprised to see him, or at least slightly, and we get a rec- uh, little bit of a recount of how Monel ended up there, meeting Superbo- Superboy or young Clark Kent, depending on which version of the origin is you know popular at this time. And uh, believing, having believed he was from Krypton until exposed to lead, which caused massive lead poisoning. So Largan was put into the Phantom Zone until Clark could find a cure. But I don't think he's been working all that hard on finding one. My opinion. So Clark remembers and states, I failed you, I failed Christopher, I failed Earth. And Largan says, not yet you haven't, and shows him Fort Roz, a piece of a Kryptonian prison that was put into the Phantom Zone when the Phantom Zone projector exploded. However, Fort Roz has some neat uh, effects in that it is solid for some reason. Time actually passes there, which is how uh, Ursa and and Non, whoa, Ursa and Zod were able to conceive Christopher. And uh, Monel pretty much lays out exactly how the Kryptonians got to Earth. They were able to use the solid area of Fort Ross to build rockets in order to uh, follow Christopher, who isn't affected by the Phantom Zone in the same way. So once they sent Christopher's rocket to Earth, they were able to home in on that, use that as a gateway of sorts. And, of course, that's where we saw the huge uh, splashdown in issue number 46. So Superman enters Fort Roz as Monel cannot, or he'll start dying of lead poisoning. And Dev M is in there. Dev M is a psychotic Phantom Zone criminal who's basically laying in wait, uh, waited behind just to attack Superman when he shows up and attack him. He does. Now both men are powerless. They don't have a yellow sun in the Phantom Zone, or a, as far as I know, a sun at all. So a fight ensues, which is actually pretty intense, with Superman get, taking blows to the face from. Uh, almost getting swiped by a knife, taking literally taking shreds off of his cape. And Dev M actually gets the upper hand and has the knife poised at his chest, beginning to pierce him when a thwack to the head takes out Dev M and Monel is inside Fort Roz, where he collapses from the lead poisoning. Superman is able to get him out into the Phantom Zone General where time stops for him and he goes back to his Phantom version. And Superman uses the rocket technology, which is risky, very risky, as many of the uh, rockets didn't make it to Earth. But he uses the croissant rocket technology to get back to Earth, where he lands and finds basically Metropolis in tatters, uh, pretty much a ghost town. And on the far edge of town, he sees a large Kryptonian structure. And within that structure, Zod and his minions are rallying people up. They're taking humanity prisoner. And even the heroes are being taken prisoner as Power Girls and Supergirl being shown, dragged in. Uh, Alan Scott is under arrest, as is Batman. So the Kryptonians managed to take out Batman. Which the normal rule in comics, ironically, is whoever Batman fights, Batman wins. Not this time. Ursa is explaining that, hey, I'm the last female, but that's not why Zod chose me, to Lois. Lois doesn't quite believe her, and just kind of thinks that uh, Zod's uh, affection towards her is sort of, uh, well, lack of options. And she's about to kill Lois when uh, Zod insists, do not harm her, she's of use to him. Which causes an awkward moment, 
Before Zod explains, there's a reason Kal-El settled for this Earth woman, and he wants to find out why. And just as he's walking towards her, a large bolt of heat vision burns his hand. Zod screams out in pain and looks over to see Lord Zod, a.k.a. Christopher Kent, staring at him and asks, What do you think you're doing? Christopher explains what Superman would do, and Zod's about to lay a, a beat down. As Monel explained, Zod and Ursa have been uh, well abusing the kid for years, which uh, poses a question which I'll get to in just a moment when I get to the comics. So Zod's about to drag the kid off and beat him solidly. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor in his lab is basically saying, oh, nobody listened to me. He has a ton of equations on his board, including several types of kryptonite, uh, kryptonite detonating bomb, and Luthor is all about being right right now because he's basically saying, don't put your faith in Superman. He will not save humanity because he's not human. And at just that moment, Superman comes rushing through the door and says, oh, okay, you've come up with I don't know how many countless ways to kill me over and over again through these years. You have all these weapons to kill me. Can I borrow them? Luthor responds by laughing just as a purple hand grabs Superman and drains some of his energy, followed by a bolt of uh, freeze vision and then a bolt of kryptonite, bringing Superman to the ground. And Luthor says, no, no, you don't get it. You're not teaming up. We're not teaming up with you. You're teaming up with us and reveals the Superman revenge squad, Bizarro, Parasite, Metallo, and Luthor himself. And just as he tells Superman you're teaming up with us, that's when the issue ends to be continued, not next issue, but in Action Comics Annual number 11. Okay, where do I begin with this issue? I have, and pardon the pun, a ton of issues. Although one interesting note is we do get that first appearance of Dev M, who really never comes back. But we also get the all-new Superman Revenge Squad. But overall, the issue, it fell way short. If I had to point out a single flaw, it was the fact that this story came to pretty much a dead stop after Action Comics 846. And yes, we had that pseudo-tie-in with issue number 847. But long and short, the story's been dormant for four issues. Now, in real time, that's literally four months And we have an abbreviated time, obviously, doing this on a uh, weekly schedule, even though we've had some interruptions. But even in that, the short time that we've been doing it for this podcast, at least on my side of the mic, it it fell dormant and I almost forgot what was going on. So let me abbreviate and do a quick synopsis to get us caught up. Uh, Superman finds a boy who's Kryptonian, gets attacked by Bizarro. Turns out that Lois and Clark decide to adopt the boy and name him Christopher. Boy turns out to be General Zod and Ursa's son. They trap Clark in the Phantom Zone. And that's pretty much all of it. But that's hard to come back to after four issues. I mean, we've been off, I'd say, five weeks at this point, five to six weeks, uh, given the, you know a couple of interruptions in the hiatus. Can you? And it's hard for me to remember even coming back to this particular issue. This issue got buried for me in real time when it was actually coming out. And it's just hard to get that momentum back, especially when this is something that's supposed to be building towards a climax with this issue. Now, add to the fact that, as I mentioned, it's not continued next issue. It's continued in Action Comics Annual number 11. I looked this up. That issue does not come out until May of 2008. May of 2008. 
almost a year later, and this was a storyline that was supposed to run a total of five issues. Yet uh, we have three, four that uh, didn't tie in, and now four. If that makes sense, let me re-say that just to make sure. We had three issues in sequence. Then we had four issues that didn't continue this story. And now we have a fourth issue that does pick up before dropping it for almost a year. This is not good storytelling. And I know I shouldn't let retroactive knowledge taint my view of the story. I should be reading it as if I'm reading it for the first time in that timely context. But it's hard not to. Because, as I mentioned, this is leading towards a climax. And when that climax just doesn't happen, the story simply fails. So here we are, left uh, in almost the exact same circumstances we left in 846, with the exception of Superman being outside the Phantom Zone. The Kryptonians have conquered Earth, Superman is at the now at the mercy of the Superman Revenge Squad, and everything is still dire. Okay, not exactly, we, we need some sort of resolution, and a year is way too long to wait. And just for the, to, for the record, I do plan on doing an, an episode much earlier than the actual scheduled where i will take on action comics annual number 11 and the superman annual that deals with camelot falls and we'll kind of look back over the storylines as a whole a little bit sooner than that and that should be after superman number 667 which is about three or four episodes away so i'm not going to make you wait just because of scheduling problems and there's also some small gripes i have with the story for example the fact that Monel tells Superman that Zod and Ursa have been abusing him for years. Christopher, I mean. Why, why, why didn't Monel do something? I mean, I can kind of at least acknowledge the reasons he probably didn't. I understand he's outnumbered. He can't go into the physical realm because he'll die immediately. But Monel's like, oh yeah, he's been abused. And nonchalantly moves on. It, it just This whole story was lead up. And Beyond some really, really cool Phantom Zone effects in terms of paneling, sort of looking like a filmed grain, and uh, really wavy and out of, really almost stream of consciousness, the art kind of fell short in the first half of the book. Now, I like the effects of the Phantom Zone uh, differentiating from the physical realm with sort of a diffused look and a sepia color tone, but... At the same time, once we get to the physical zone, especially the scenes in Fort Roz, there is a long shot here as Superman is entering, walking down a corridor f where it just looks like an eight-year-old drew Superman. It's a sloppy triangle. He looks bald. There's no definition. Even from a distance, that's just, just sloppy. And especially for an issue that was delayed as long as this was, I expect some top-notch art. Now, admittedly, in the second half, once Superman returns to Earth, the art really does kick it up a notch. But before that, the character work of Monel in the physical realm of Fort Ross looks weird. Dev M is, and he has appeared before in previous eras, but not like this. He he just looks awkward. He has this half stocking cap thing on that I don't know how to explain, other than a half stocking cap that covers one eye, almost like an eye patch. No explanation for it, and at first glance, it's hard to tell that that's what that is. It looks like maybe he has cybernetics underneath it, sort of like a metallo effect, but it just looks weird. Now, Superman returning to Earth, that's when the game really gets going, because we have another long shot, and once again, it looks like an eight-year-old drew it, but 
Superman walking through Metropolis, seeing the cityscape outside of this broken window at the Daily Planet with that Kryptonian structure. Man, the backgrounds look great. Unfortunately, I don't read comics just for the backgrounds. So the art is really, really falling short. It just feels rushed, and I don't understand why this issue was so late. If this art is going to be this lopsided, with the exception of the splash page and the one that I just mentioned, the art just doesn't do anything in this book, and the story is trying to build towards a climax. And of course, if you're looking at a five-issue uh, five structure, this is sort of a bridge to that climax. So the first three parts bring us to the the pinnacle. I mean, we should be seeing a second wind here, and now with Superman on Earth, yeah, he has a plan, but we see that get thrown off by him going to Luthor for help, and then being told, oh, now we have the Revenge Squad. I, I'm sorry, this issue was just way too lopsided to really do anything. It doesn't really further the story that much, because all it does is get Superman out of the Phantom Zone, and it reestablishes, though, that Monel is in there. So all that stuff from Action Comics Angel number 10 conveniently comes to play. So I'm uh, I'm going to put this down on a quarter bin. That's where I'm ranking it, just because the art was sloppy, the story didn't go anywhere, and when it did get to wherever the destination was for this issue, it left us hanging for a year. Quarter bin. And you know what? I'm actually going to drop it down. I'm going to put it on leave on the shelf. This issue was just a complete disappointment. For all the delay, for the storyline being that sloppy... I'm putting it at the lowest level of leave it on the shelf. Don't bother with this issue. Just don't bother. Let's uh, let's kind of do a palate cleanser here and move on to Superman number 664. Superman 664 came out on June 13, 2007. The, t- the story was titled Countermeasures, written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Carlos Pacheco, inked by Jesus Marino, lettered by Richard Starkings, and colored by Alex Sinclair, edited by Matt Idelson and Nachi Castro. Superman was, of course, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And the issue opens not quite where 663 left off, as we're seeing it from a different viewpoint. We actually pick up with the prankster watching the city from his lair, which we saw a few issues ago. And man, I really like what they're doing with the prankster. But let me move on with the synopsis. I apologize. Um, as he watches, he sees the scene where we left off last issue, where Superman is... Uh, having his willpower defeated by Arion, who's ticked off that Superman just won't quit being Superman. Hey, haters gonna hate, right? So, Superman actually is starting to feel it ebb away. Lois and Jimmy, who are up in the planet, Daily Planet, actually hear what's going on, and of course go rushing, because that's what Jimmy and Lois do. They rush out every time there's something. So, down below, Superman's really falling into this psychic spell, just starting to lose it, but... What Arion doesn't know is that Superman had some training with the Martian Manhunter to kind of overcome these psychic attacks uh, just in case, because nobody wants Superman under somebody else's willpower, which is ironic since right after that there is an attack by a fleet of, well, they're called Squad, squad K. I'm not going to bury the lead, but uh, describing what they look like, um, think of John Burns' Krypton, sort of uh, a stormtrooper if it existed in that. Yeah. But they execute a maneuver called Mind Control Protocol Alpha, which sounds really cool, but what it really means is they're going to throw a lot of random high-powered weapons at the Man of Steel. For example, high-power high-intensity sonics, 
um, lightning is what they're called. They're called skin janglers. That's just an awkward porn title waiting to happen. Anyway, Turek and Sarka, the two young kids from New Genesis who stowed away last issue, watch from above on a rooftop. Lois calls out the leader of Squad K and asks, what's your business? What are you doing? And he says, you're interfering with the federal operation. So step back. Federal operation. Arion's kind of surprised. He'd intended to capture Superman pretty quickly, but uh, he, he he's just kind of surprised by the what he calls uniformed imbeciles subduing him for him. How amusing. And then the uniformed imbeciles turn their attention to Arion with no success. Arion uh, just pretty much wipes him out. They have no effect. That's when the choppers come in. So this is just a situation getting worse and worse. And at least Superman's kind of free of Arion's influence to some extent, right? Nope. Nope, that's starting to sink in. With all these distractions, he's not able to use all of Martian Manhunter's mind control techniques. And Superman realizes he's a danger. And basically pounds on the ground to get away from Squad K. Fends them off and flies away just to kind of remove himself from the situation so he doesn't endanger anybody. So, Superman flies off as Lois and Jimmy stay behind to ask questions. And as Superman is flying away, he gets hit by a very giant pie. A cream pie. Just right in the face. <laughs> and uh, this sends him kind of careening. Prankster, driving a basically a garbage truck with a catapult on it, drives away and says, Isn't it great when a scoundrel like me can aid the forces of law and order, helping stop a dangerous threat to society? So, as Superman's wiping the pie from his eyes, he realizes that standing in front of him is Hal Jordan, Wonder Woman, Starman, Stargirl, Hourman, Black Lightning, Dr. Midnight, Vixen, Hawkgirl, and Power Girl. So, basically, several members of the JLA-JSA, which is ironic since they are crossing over this month. How convenient. And Hal tries to get him to relax. Just relax you under the control of magic. Superman basically just... Using his super voice, which doesn't crack out, uh, doesn't crack out very often, yells, "I'm fine," and says, "Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm cool. I'm calm, collected, as just seen by using my super yell." But uh, Superman basically explains, "Hey, I already broke free of this spell all the way back at the Daily Planet. You're a little late to the party, and I am losing Arion." So Superman has to rush back and try to catch Arion who at that time is out at sea, and a few shield spells later, is kind of making a nice getaway. He takes one moment and thinks, hey, somebody might be there, but sh apparently shrugs it off as Sarka and Turin, using their micromask grip technology, uh, basically shield themselves and follow Arion as he flies out to sea. So Arion has gotten away, Superman returns to the scene, where Squad K explains to them that basically they were formed in order to protect Metropolis from Superman should he ever come under mind control again. Superman notes that oh, Batman wasn't with the group that confronted him and double checks to find that Bruce is already working on his own solution as his kryptonite ring was destroyed. He's looking for yet another ring through several options. Gotta love Batman. He's such a great friend looking for ways to destroy you. But... 
Returning, uh, as I mentioned, back to the scene of the crime, the prankster has been all blowed up. It turns out that the prankster that yelled out at Superman was actually a robot. So Superman bids adieu, introduces himself to the leader of Squad K, Perseus Hazard, or Percy, and basically kind of accepts that, yeah, I don't have to like that you're there to take me down should I get mind control, but at the same time, I get it. I get it. So Superman flies off, finds the prankster in his lair, and basically brings him to justice. And the cool thing is, Prankster takes care of his many female aides, as uh, he's already got legal counsel ready for him. And as the issue ends, Superman is flying above Metropolis in the rain, brooding, and yells out to Arion, who is who knows where, that he will find him. And I don't think you're going to enjoy it. And next issue, Jimmy Olsen, a countdown dossier. That's right, a countdown crossover. Aren't we excited about that? As far as this issue, this was just kind of all over the place. Uh, you had a lot really going on at one time, even though it didn't seem like it. Uh, for example, Superman's fighting off Arion's influence while Team K, or pardon me, Squad K attacks. As I mentioned, they look like stormtroopers in the John Byrne Krypton. Just, I don't like this design. They, they're awkward. They're kind of introduced out of nowhere. And of course it makes perfect sense that there would be some sort of protocol in place for Superman when we're dealing with somebody who's more powerful than than a nuclear device and when he wants to be. But everything just kind of runs out of convenience. We're talking minutes after Arion started trying to take control of Superman that the prankster is put in place, Squad K is put in place, the JLA and JSA show up. How quickly i don't know it bothers me that nobody trusts superman that far and especially when the jla knowing because i believe they all underwent some degree of psychic control or psychic defense from martian manhunter but they immediately assume oh he's mind controlled we got to stop him it bothers me that there's that much fear surrounding superman and while at the same time i do understand it is uh prudent would be the word as i mean it's still these are his friends this is diana this is wonder woman one of his closest friends this is hal and hal is uh, in no position to talk about <laughs> going rogue but i kind of get hawk girl and power girl being there that makes a little bit of sense even black lightning and dr midnight but we're talking all of this would have happened in a matter of minutes how fast how many protocols are in place for should superman go crazy it's over the top it bothers me and you know what it doesn't further camelot falls any anymore we do get a nice callback to the prankster who's been really a uh, off and on part of the superman mythos since infinite crisis and really just as he was coming into his own as a villain and in a position where i really liked him it was very reminiscent of where the riddler was at this time in the batman mythology where the riddler was actually kind of a not so much a villain at all. He was his own detective and kind of a more fleshed out character under the guise of Paul, under the guidance of Paul Dini. Uh, Prankster could have really become that type of character, a nice supporting character, an anti-hero of sorts. He just wants to go out and do some pranks, distract Superman. He could have been a nice, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of a spice to the story. A nice ancillary character. And overall, I mean, the story just it didn't go very far there was way too much that happened all at once and nothing came about 
Uh, really, if I can break it down, the synopsis very quickly. Superman fights off Arion, fights Squad K at the same time, tries to chase Arion, ends up uh, getting called out by the JSA, and Arion disappears. And Superman understands that, yes, there are protocols in place. But it just seemed the wave of paranoia was way over the top. The art by Pacheco really, I don't know what's lost on this, because he started out so solid on this book, and the colors even have faded. The backgrounds aren't quite as detailed as they were. I just, something fell flat for me with, with Carlos Pacheco. And maybe it's Jesus Marino's inking. It's never easy to tell, but there are some really awkward panels. For example, when he's trying to get away from Squad K and explain that he's no danger, the line work on his face, the number of lines you add to a character ages them exponentially. And there are a lot of lines. It looks really, really awkward. It looks like something, I don't know. I don't know. It just, this issue just left a weird taste in my mouth. Even his sultry lowest that he normally draws looks awkward. It just fell flat. Uh, layouts were actually pretty straightforward with some really, really, you know, shining moments like Superman getting hit by the pie. But it just felt like the prankster got wasted here. And he really could have been something great. But no, we're just going to settle for this cameo and call it good. So, with this, I actually end up giving this issue, I'm going to give it a quarter bin. And actually, you know what? I'm going to upgrade that to wait for the trade as I'm just indecisive this week. Because it, it does, it is entertaining to an extent, but it just fell flat at the end and felt like I wasted 20 minutes. While I was entertained reading it, it didn't feel like in the long term it really satisfied me. So I'm going to leave that with quarter bin. And what I'm going to do is go ahead and play another promo and we'll come back with the other half of the books for August 2007. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. The dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Every legend has a beginning. And that brings us to the first issue of Superman Batman we have for this episode, issue number 36, with a cover date of early August 2007. This is Computer Crash, which is the third part of our Metal Men storyline we've been following along with. It is written by Mark Verheiden and Mark Guggenheim, penciled by Pat Lee, inked by Craig Jung, lettered by Rob Lay, colored by Daniel Levisi, edited by Eddie Berganza and Adam Schlagman, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And the issue opens with Doc Magnus and exposition 
I'm, I'm sorry, pardon me. I mean Helen, driving, uh, following the GPS signatures that he put in the middlemen who have now gone rogue and left the Wayne Tech facility. It brings them to a government facility. I hate to use that word more than once. It's a, basically a government observation post where they find a few dead bodies and the metalmen saying, no, we didn't kill them, but OMAC did. So standing and hovering over them is OMAC, who introduces himself as, more specifically, Brainiac in an OMAC body. Meanwhile, in Gotham City, Bruce Wayne recovers in a hospital, being questioned by Clark Kent after as to why OMAC technology was still at the Wayne Tech facility. And basically, Bruce explains, hey, look, this is why I have a giant penny. This is why you have old costumes, you have wax statues of your friends, we're orphans. We collect things because we lose so much. And conveniently, Lucius Fox enters at that time, says that the metal men are missing, and Bruce informs Clark, yes, I have a way of tracking it. So Clark find, follows the tracking signal, finds the car at the facility, and enters. However, before we see Clark step in, Omac, or uh, pardon me, Brainiac, what would be a good combination of Brainiac and Omac? I mean, Brainiac is kind of a brain, uh, already a good combination. Anyway, that's my segue. Um, basically, Brainiac's explaining I need a new vessel. I'm uh, existing as software. And any one of your metal men would be fine. But let's be honest, this Omac is pretty badass. And I'm all about world domination. And how he mentions that his version of his virus, which he's existing as, is untested on a human subject. Magnus insists that, that he take him instead of Helen, as that one eye is peering pretty obviously at her. And according to his calculations, Brainiac says that this version has only a 42% chance of success. Before he gets in to Helen's body, Superman throws a freaking car through the wall. And pretty much just uh, obliterates a Prius. Who would have thought we'd see a day where Superman basically uses a Prius of all cars as a as a billy club? But more or less, he starts taking out the metalmen that way before one of them happens to give him a really good punch that throws him through the roof of the facility and into the air before landing on one of the satellite dishes, reminding me a little bit of Brainiac attacks. Oh, that just completely ruined the issue even further. Anyway, let me stay on task here. Iron hits him outside, and before other metal men continue, meanwhile, Bruce is struggling to get out of the hospital bed and uh, decides, well, I gotta do what I gotta do. He's Batman. That's how he rolls. The metal men are overtaking Superman, and we even. Tin even has a piece of kryptonite that Brainiac had from his association with Metallo. Just a chunk, but a chunk does the job. And overtaken, Superman hears them try to decide who's going to kill when the female Omac, which is obviously exposition lady Helen, oh, and she seemed so extraneous at the time, infected with the with the Omac virus. So we have a female Brainiac, and uh, it looks fairly awkward. I'm just going to tell it how it is. Fortunately, Batman has shown up, and uh, basically Magnus is kind of filling him in, and Super Batman says. Uh, I have to use this OMAC data to come up with a way to shut Brainiac down. So he has to just focus. And Magnus asks, what are you going to do? And he says, help my friend. So Superman is being attacked by Heliac. Heliac, that's what we'll call it. Because we got to combine things. That's how comic books go. 
And Batman shows up, kind of does his Batman thing, looking all B.A. And suddenly the metal men are freed from the influence of Brainiac. And Tin asks, what can we do? And Batman says, back off. Batman tells them to fight the programming, because it's not that strong. And the metal men really do start to slip the grip and turn on Brainiac. (laughs) And a, a word is almost used that we don't usually see in comics. Iron sums it up very well, and we quit and starts bashing at Heliac. So, long story short, the metal men all attack Heliac. She is subdued. She turns on the main OMAC, as OMACs tend to replicate. That's how they roll. And everybody has a nice, oddly drawn scuffle, ending with Brainiac's defeat, of course. So, of course, Bruce points out he didn't leave himself without means to escape since we're surrounded by satellite dishes, which can transmit it up into the air. So, Brainiac's not finished, but for right now, he'll be okay. Back at the Batcave, Superman destroys the OMAC prototype as, uh, well, pretty much everything wraps up. That's really all that happened, that issue, and I'm really glad to be done with that storyline. I do want to point out in an ironic twist, there is no trade for this storyline. And I think, uh, if I'm going to be honest, that's because this storyline was awful. It had no relevance. It really didn't make sense. Even as I'm doing the synopsis, I'm trying to find ways to clarify, but uh, it just, it was convoluted. It didn't, it didn't flow at all. And I really would have liked to have seen Pat Lee do a really good Superman, Batman story arc, but this just was not that story arc. So I'm not going to prattle on about this. The art was kind of cool, a little awkward, given what was... I mean, I mentioned that action sequence, and I suddenly realized how awkward that action sequence was when I happened to be going through the synopsis, and I just looked down at it, I'm like, I have no idea who's fighting who and what. All these robots look the same, which is not Pat Lee. Pat Lee isn't a very good artist. I've always loved his work, just not here. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to... I'm going to put it on front street as soon as i realized the brainiac attacks connection it lost it for me it just lost it completely and that's going to drop this down to a leave it on the shelf it's better if you just skip not just this issue but the last two and move on speaking of moving on let's look at the other issue of superman batman issue number 37 cover dated late august 2007 and the issue actually went on sale june 27 2007 this is torment part one Written by Alan Burnett, penciled by Dustin Gein, inked by Derek Fredoffs, lettered by Rob Lay, colored by Randy Mayer, with a variant cover by Claudio Castellini and Naomi Vissens, edited by Eddie Verganza and Adam Schlagman, and of course, created Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And the issue opens with Killer Croc in Metropolis breaking into a Lexcom facility, not being very happy about it. But, of course, he violently comes in, slashes the guards, and steals a crystalline object before fleeing and escaping. When security asks uh, Lex, uh, might be nice to know what they stole, Lex says it's better that you don't know. And, of course, Batman, suspecting things at all times, conveniently being there, listens in on one of his devices. At a dock, Killer Croc hands over the object to Schrocken, the slimy-looking... He looks like Pizza the Hut, if you want to know the honest truth. 
But he hands it over and says, can I go now? And Killer and Shrocken is just violent. He starts hitting Killer Croc, kicking him, and says, you don't speak to Shrocken. You don't look at Shrocken. You are feces, slime, something to be wiped away. Croc knows that Shrocken's going to kill him and flees again, jumps into the sea, and swims as fast as he can. Meanwhile, in Metropolis, Clark, Lois, and Pete Ross have lunch, and Pete uh, ends up calling Lois, pardon me, getting my L's confused, Lois Hot, and uh, basically explains that Clark is the most stable person he knows, which is ironic, because right after that, Clark gets a text, has to run, and Lois says things just got a little bit more, less, a little bit more unstable, or a little less stable is the actual word, I apologize. Superman shows up at the Batcave, where Batman says, hey, Batman's at the computer where he normally is, looking up YouTube videos. No, he's actually looking at the object. And uh, Batman has yet to really find out what it is. It's just security tape, but it looks like a satellite. Superman immediately recognizes it as Kryptonium, and Batman agrees. It looks like it's probably some Kryptonian hardware that Luthor's been salvaging to use on him. But why is Croc after that? Croc's not that divisive. And uh, Batman agrees. So somebody else has to be behind it. Shrocken? Of course, they don't know that yet. Meanwhile, in Gotham City's west side, an older gentleman in a bowler hat and a cane walks alongside a fairly younger gentleman, looking a little bit like Red Arrow, but he's wearing this scarf, hiding his identity in large shades, and the older gentleman hands over this cube with a sphere in the middle, which has the programming for the device that Shrocken has taken. And uh, old man wishes the young man luck, says, uh, you're really taking on a lot, and worlds will change. So, walking away, the older man is looked at by a very ruffian-looking bald man and leads the, the man into a dark alley where a large lightning bolt cracks him right across the street. In the North Atlantic, a fishing barge actually manages to pull up their catch for the day at 6.30 p.m., dropping it all out of the net, and they are both surprised to see Killer Croc in there, the fishermen, who look like... A cracked-out Santa Claus and a very large Kimbo Slice in a skull cap. They take him below to the medical station where they're video conferencing with a doctor who insists they should probably go ahead and strap Killer Croc down. The fishermen say, look, dead is dead. But as uh, soon as uh, Jim Gordon comes on there to try to re- reiterate what the doctor's saying, Killer Croc comes alive, starts just going after the crew. And of course, Batman, having heard from Gordon that they'd found Croc, shows up and a violent showdown ensues between the two in one really great fight sequence, honestly. Uh, really well laid out. I mean, really violent because Croc is trying to go at Batman with hooks and really manages to get a good few good blows in. And that's one thing Killer Croc is really good at is being just a brute force, you know, basher, for, all, for lack of a better term. But before Killer Croc can really do Batman in, he sees a vision of Shrock and, and it causes him to lose it for just long enough for Batman to lock him into the freezer. Now, some nurses have gathered on the stairs and uh, Batman insists, I'm going to need a sedative. They look a little confused and he, insist, he clarifies, it's for him. Meanwhile, on Interstate 5, outside of Metropolis, a truck is pulled over in the middle of the night and as the sheriff approaches and begins to ask for license the window rolls down Shrocken is inside grabs the sheriff by the throat leaves him for dead along the side of the road and takes off towards metropolis speaking of metropolis the next morning beautiful morning in metropolis sunshine 
At the Daily Planet, Clark is going about his business, being a mild-mannered reporter, taking his messages. And just then he starts wondering, why did Pete call Lois hot? And then suddenly there's a rumbling. Something's going on. Is it an earthquake? He can hear the tectonic plates shaking. Without enough time to jump into a storage closet, Clark uses the elevator shaft, switches to Superman, but immediately reverses his downward direction when he sees large growing rocks beginning to grow through the shaft. Flying outside, he manages to get some height look down so he can look down on the Daily Planet, which is being bombarded by large spires of kryptonite flooding Metropolis. And the issue wraps up with Superman saying, how is this happening? Okay, so we just read issue 36, and really for the last three issues, this book has been lackluster. Extremely lackluster. This issue starts a good upswing. I'm never against a just a good, well-told story. It doesn't have to be earth-shattering. It doesn't have to be an event. I just want to enjoy reading my comics and justify the $2.99. If you give me 20 minutes of you know entertainment, I'm good. And that's what this issue did. And I remember thinking just a few minutes ago, ironically, that perhaps Gein was dragging Pat Lee down. And now I don't think that's the case because Gein has a much cleaner style. It is very reminiscent of Pat Lee, but much cleaner, much more clear. And as I mentioned, there was the fight sequence on the barge, and this is skipping ahead a little bit. But his layout on that is actually very precise, where in issue 36 I was having trouble deciphering who was fighting who, what was going on. Here, with Batman going against Killer Croc, this violent force of nature, the panels are clear, and there's even a nice detail where Batman has a harness when he's swinging in. You actually see him remove it, which is nice for continuity. I like little details like that. That's consistent. And the fight really does just take some nice turns, and it only lasts really two pages, but that's all the fight really needs to last. Now, the shocking character, you know, just to see Killer Croc basically reduced down to a fearful child is pretty harsh. Um, as I mentioned, he's a violent force of nature. He's really cocky. He doesn't really back down very often. Uh, Batman says it himself. His, his, his idea of problem solving is putting a clip into an Uzi. He's more of a straightforward, I'm going to bash you and that's it. So to see him really taken down by this guy really amps up the idea that Shrocken's pretty much going to be the big player here. And this actually, you know, put nice pieces where I'm actually curious about what happens next. For example, the older man and the younger man walking in, Metro- in uh, Gotham. I'm curious to see what happens next. I want to know who is this guy? Who is that guy? And it leads... It's nice to plant seeds when you can. There have been times when people are trying to be so mysterious, they just leave out actually planting those and just set a mystery without any real relevance behind it. Here, you actually see these characters, and you want to know who they are. You want to follow them. And, of course, the, the cliffhanger with kryptonite growing, I mean, let's call it what it is. That's uh, that's pretty much a callback to Superman Returns. Not a big fan of that, because during this time period, we already saw that in Up, Up, and Away. We saw a little bit of it in Last Sun. And let's be honest, how much it brings up the question again, how much should a movie influence its source material? It's one thing to bring elements in, but when you're bringing full-on plots, it kind of gets a little bit cumbersome. It it plays out a little bit differently here, but still, it still kind of definitely brings the issue down a notch. However, all in all, 
the issue did exactly what it should have done. It stands on its own. It plants the seeds, especially being the first issue of a storyline. It leaves you ready for the next issue. So was this a bad issue? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I really enjoyed it, which is exactly what an issue should do, as I mentioned. So I'm actually very happy with Superman Batman 37. It can start contrast to issue 36, which I was just... I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was dreading reading it. I was dreading reviewing it. So this is a kind of an upswing for this book. Still not top-notch. And there's still, let's point it out, there's still the Pete Ross thing. This is, assuming this is continuity, which always gets tricky with Superman Batman. Always. Because <laughs> you're never quite sure, is this in, is this out? The book started out solidly in continuity and really was relevant. Now it just seems like a, a vanity book from time to time. So, assuming this is in continuity, this is Pete Ross's first appearance following Infinite Crisis, and does acknowledge the Lana-Pete situation, which is, uh, you know, awkward in itself. They don't mention the Ruin Saga, which is probably better. Pete's trying to move on from that. I mean, to have a guy that went, really climbed the ranks, went to vice president, became president because the original president went absolutely crazy on Kryptonite, and then to have all that ripped away... There should have been a little bit more with Pete, but it was kind of bothersome, and I'm glad Clark asked about it. Why would he call Lois hot? That's just, uh, Pete's a little bit more conservative than that. That's the best way to put it. But Alan Burnett definitely knows how to tell a story here. He's definitely setting up a really good stage. It is reminiscent of uh, some of the better episodes of Superman the Animated Series. So I'm actually going to give this a, a rating of pull list. It's actually a very good issue. I'm looking forward to going through the Torment storyline. And before we move on, I do want to point out that all uh, three out of four stories this week are collected in trade. Uh, Superman, or pardon me, Action Comics number 851 is collected in the Superman Last Sun trade. Superman number 664 is collected in the Camelot Falls Volume 2 trade. And uh, Superman Batman number 37 is collected in the Torment trade. All three of these you can find on the sidebar at supermanforever.com. You can get them from amazon.com at a good price. And a percentage of that does go to help pay the bandwidth and support the site. And I just figure if you're going to buy Superman stuff anyway, why not put it available and kind of help the site out? And by the way, the site's in no risk of going anywhere. Just a... Just kind of a nice way to offset some of the costs. Not that I'm putting it in my pocket. I do want to clarify that. Anyway, I'm segueing. I'm rattling on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play one more promo, and we'll look at what happened elsewhere in the DC Universe for August 2007. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm just not feeling this.
I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. And elsewhere in the DC Universe, Supergirl takes on, well, Supergirl, in issue number 18 of the ongoing Supergirl comic which is probably the most I've ever said Supergirl in one sitting. Batman and the League of Batmen, including Knight and Squire, must escape from the island of Mr. Mayhew in Batman number 667. The Amazons continue to attack Washington, D.C. in Amazons attack number 3. And Wonder Woman does her best to stave off those Amazons in Wonder Woman number 10. While Oliver Queen proposes to Black Canary Dinah Lance in Green Arrow number 75. Bart Allen, the Flash, dies, that's right, he dies, at the hands of the rogues in Flash, Fastest Man Alive, number 13, that book's final issue, which is ironic because the book wasn't really selling that well, wasn't really doing anything, and suddenly this issue comes out, out of nowhere, and it becomes very sought after for, well, a little while at least. Ironically, Wally West returns at that very moment, quite conveniently, to the living, the Legion returns to the future, and Karate Kid stays in the present in Justice League of America number 10, which concludes the Justice Society, Justice League, Legion of Superheroes crossover, the Lightning Saga. Meanwhile, Sinestro begins forming the Sinestro Corps, which includes Cyborg Superman, Superman Prime, and many others over in uh, the Green Lantern Sinestro Corps special number one, which will lead into the Sinestro core war which will be a massive crossover there freddie Fu- wow freddie funeral freddie freeman continues his quest to gain the powers of shazam by taking on atlas in trials of shazam number eight while mary batson takes on the powers of black adam jason todd meets forerunner the legion's karate kid gets acquainted with the 21st century and monarch enters the picture in countdown issues number 47 through 44 so that is what was happening in the DC Universe during August, the cover date, August 2007. And that pretty much brings us to the end of our episode. And uh, just remember to come back on Sunday for Superman Forever Radio, episode 29, in which we'll be talking about Crypto and the Super Pets, an episode that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. 
And, of course, I'm going to be back tomorrow, Friday, to give you the latest news on the SFR Daily Planet, which will probably include something about the fact that the Smallville finale is tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Well, depending on when you download this. You may be downloading this on some other day next week when the thing would already happen. So if you are in the future listening to this, do not send spoilers back through time. And uh, also, don't forget, I'm on another podcast, The Walking Dorks, which you can find at walkingdorks.blogspot.com, where I talk about comics other than Superman. And uh, the SFR Daily Planet, of course, as I mentioned, was daily, which you probably didn't see coming by the title. It is available on iTunes, and I do basically, as it happens, news, or as close as it happens once a day, in maybe twice a day if needed, Monday through Friday with his skipping uh, Thursday this week just because of this episode. And I'm rattling on again. How awesome is that? Well, I'm not going to keep you anymore. That wraps us up for this episode. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a production of supermanforever.com. As always, you can find the show and leave a review on iTunes or visit supermanforever.com. And of course, the show is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network where you can find other great Superman podcasts covering all eras of the Man of Steel at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Drop the show an email at mail at supermanforever.com or follow the show on Twitter. The username is at superman, the number four, ever. Superman forever. And you, be, you can become a fan of the show on Facebook. Simply search for supermanforever.com and press the like button. Leave a voicemail at the call-in line, which is 703-95-SUPER. That's 703-957-8737. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, and related elements are trademarks of DC Comics, a Warner Brothers entertainment company. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and no profit is made from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And until next episode, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. <laughs>